Good evening, everybody. Hot off the press, just got the thumbs up from Rabbi Goldstein. That means Mazel Tov on the engagement of Jasmine and Dan. They should be coming here at some point tonight, they said, but very special Mazel Tov. Special thank you to Ellie and Jenny Abraham from Detroit who are sponsoring tonight's cheer. And they're doing it in honor of a Rafuah Shalema for Moshe Ben Itta Golda. It's a shem that should contribute to a Rafuah Shalema Ben Heira. Special thank you, as always, to Torah Anytime for sharing this class and many others with people who cannot be here in person. Shkoyach for all of your wonderful work. Somebody told me once, discussing about his level or lack thereof of religiosity, and he wanted to explain why, why he wasn't religious. Not that I was looking for an explanation. But he said, I'm too creative to be religious. My soul is too free. There's too much that I need to express to have the confines of Torah. And I think some have this false assumption that the truly religious personality is by definition limited in their creativity, is almost suppressed by the, the structure and the guidelines of Torah and mitzvahs. But I think believing in that would be the same thing as suggesting that Albert Einstein was limited in his creativity because he believed in physics and cosmology. Right? So the contrary. The only reason or the only way Albert Einstein was able to tap into his brilliance and really be super creative and change our entire perception of reality was based on the fact that he had a solid foundation in physics, that he had a solid rooting in mathematics. He understood cosmology and astronomy. That gave him the framework in order to, to utilize his very energetic and vibrant creative mind. So I'd like to explore the art of creativity. Where and when and how can we utilize this very strong, very powerful force within ourselves? How could it maximize our Torah lifestyle? And how could it maximize really our tafkid, our purpose in this world? The ideal Torah lifestyle requires creativity, and real, meaningful, lasting creativity requires Torah. Now, obviously, there is a balance. Baruch Hashem, we do have instructions for living. We do have mitzvot. And it can't be totally unfettered, do whatever you feel like doing, just be yourself. We do have uh, many situations where the goal is, or the call of the hour, is to curb that creativity and to try to just absorb what the Torah has to tell me. I'm not putting my own thoughts in here. I'm not trying to, to presuppose something or to have my own premise. I want to hear what the Torah is teaching me. I want to hear what the Halacha is teaching me. We have in the beginning of the Parsha the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. And the Torah tells us, V'yazkein Aaron el menorah that Aaron listened to Hashem and he arranged the menorah in the proper way. 
Rashi famously says, Lahagid shivcha shel Aaron shiloshina. The Torah is praising Aaron that he didn't change anything. He didn't deviate. Shiloshina. Right, so what an amazing Godel B'Torah. What a hero. Hashem said, light the menorah in a very particular way with right, the candles facing towards the center. And Aaron was thinking to himself, well, it's true, Hashem did say that, but golly gee, and I wonder, this, this one candle on the right side, it would look so cool if it was tilted out that way. And he had to hold himself back from being Mishana, from changing the instructions of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What in the world is Rashi saying? The Torah is praising Aaron for not changing the mitzvah of Hashem. Very strange thing. We have a similar idea in Parshas Tzav. Torah tells us, Vayas Hashem Moshe. That Aaron and his sons followed all of the all of the instructions that was given to them by Moshe, ultimately coming from Hashem. And Rashi there again, Lahagid Shivchan. The Torah is telling us their praise. It's speaking highly of them. Shalohitil Yominusmol. They didn't veer, they didn't deviate to the right or the left. They just did what Hashem said through Moshe Rabbeinu. What's, what's the big deal? So Chaim Shmulevitz, he has a very deep idea here. He explains that the greater you are, right, the more passion you have within you, the more ambition, the more explosive spiritual energy you have, so the more creative you are and the more of a desire you have to pour all of your neshama into the mitzvah that you're doing. Obviously, Aaron had no thought cross his mind, let me tweak the actual mitzvah. Let me put this candle facing the other way. He would never think like that. But the lighting of the menorah was so much more than the physical taking of the fire and arranging the candles. The lighting of the menorah was a very, very deep, complex, Kabbalistic exercise. The machshavos that were needed, all of the, the different thoughts and, and meditations that he was trying to go through, tapping into this mitzvah on the highest level, was very, very subtle and very nuanced. When Rashi says, the Torah is teaching us that he didn't change anything, that means he was so incredibly dovok, he was so connected to the mitzvah, and doing exactly what Hashem said, that none of his own personality was mixing in. So although he was connecting to the mitzvah, there was no agenda there whatsoever. Even with his godless, his greatness, his own internal fire, I'm just absorbing what Hashem said and doing it exactly right. Shaloshina Bodom. That's an example of having to curb creativity, having to almost place yourself in a different area to make sure that I'm totally objective. The same thing is true when it comes to learning Torah or when it comes to, to teaching Torah. Obviously our own personalities are always mixed into the Torah that we're learning, but we try as much as possible. Let me just understand Pshat. What is the Mishnah saying? What is the machlokus between the Ritva and the Rashba? 
I'm not here to make up things. I, I have no agenda to create a nice, very cute question and answer. I just want to understand what they're teaching me. I put myself aside. Shmuel Birnbaum, who's the great Meshiva of the Mir in America, he spoke at the, it was a hespit he gave for Moshe Feinstein. And he said, one of the most amazing things about the personality of Ramosha Feinstein is the fact that he was so incredibly brilliant and he had a mind that was so original, that was so creative, but yet when it would come to paskening, he was able to totally remove himself from the equation. What does it say in Shas, Poskim, Shochan Shach, Taz? He wouldn't allow his own chedushim to interrupt that process of pure, authentic Torah. Reb Shach, he was the Shiva Panovich we've mentioned many times, he has a letter where he was writing, celebrating his 80th birthday. I'll share with you just a few lines of this letter along the same theme. Reb Shach wrote, Baruch Hashem Higati Ligvuros, Baruch Hashem, I'm now 80 years old. Vikoyamai Vinchati Lahovin Lishmoa Lilmudolamed. My entire life, my sole desire was to learn and to teach. Ah Virak is Divreha Torah Hanasuna Vahamasora Lonu mi Pia Kadash Baruchu Ayude Mosher Benu. To teach the Torah that we've received through our Masora, through the tradition. Without mixing in any secular or outside wisdom. My entire life, until this day, I was able to fulfill the words of the Mishnah. You want to be there in the dust by the feet of the sages, drinking their words with thirst. Through their works, through their svarim, and through what I received from them personally. He says, every question I would try to answer, if it was a personal one, if it was one relating to the yeshiva, or one that had ramifications in the entire Kalal Yisrael, I would always think, what would the Chafetz Chaim say? What would Rav Chaim Ozer say? What would the Briska Rav say? Having this deep connection with the previous generations, it wasn't me giving an answer, it wasn't me giving my suggestion. I was just trying to pass along that rich heritage of Torah, of the Mesorah. So we see from Ramosha, we see from Rav Shach, we see from Aaron HaKohen, there are definitely times in life where the call of the hour is, put yourself aside. Just be as objective as possible. Right? Creativity, by definition, is subjective. It's an expression of me. Oftentimes, there's no room for an expression of you. Just absorb the wisdom of the Torah and try to pass it on in an authentic way. <clears throat> Yet we all have this need, like the personality of Aaron HaKohen, we have to create. The famous line from one of the great philosophers of the 20th century, Men must live and create, live to the point of tears. Where does this desire come from? Where does this need for creativity come from? 
I want to share with you four basic ideas, four basic shroshim. These are roots within the human spirit as to why we feel this desire to create. The first is, very simply, if I'm not creating, what's the other option? I'm being told what to do. Or I'm just following somebody else's path. And nobody likes doing that. No matter how dependent I may be on other people for validation, for people to say things that make me feel good, ultimately, I don't want to just be doing what you tell me to do. I don't want to be an employee my whole life. I want to have some level of shlita, some level of control. Name the poem. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. What is that poem from? Nobody knows. But the next line, Dylan, you knew that? <laughs> you read the next line. <laughs> Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Again, forgive me for the secular source here. Right? The road less traveled. Why is that so appealing? Why do you want to go down the road less traveled? Go down the other path. People have been there before. It's probably safer. Right? So there's a Gurarie, there's a Maral, source number five, where he actually has a different interpretation than Rashi. Rashi we mentioned in Parashat Tzav, where the Torah says that Aaron and his children did what Hashem said through Moshe. And Rashi said that was a praise, they didn't deviate. The Maral says something else. He says, really the praise here is, She'osu b'simcha, that Aaron and his children, they did the mitzvah b'simcha, l'kayim ma'sha'omer lehem Moshe, to fulfill what Moshe said, ke'ilu shomu mipi ha'gavura, as if they heard it directly from Hashem. Ki derech ha'olam, writes the Maral, because the way of the world is, Godol shenitztava me'acher, eno osa b'simcha. When I'm a godol, I'm my own man. And, and you tell me what to do, even if the right thing to do is to listen, I'm not going to do it with the same hislavos. I'm not going to have that sense of joy and satisfaction. Because ultimately, I'm doing it because you said so. And that rubs me the wrong way. And it's the classic example of the teenage boy who sees the garbage can overflowing in the kitchen and finally has this epiphany. You know what? I'm going to take out the garbage. Right? And he starts walking towards the garbage, feeling like a million bucks. And right before he closes it up, he hears his mother yell out, Kayim, can you please take out the garbage? Right then and there, no. Take it out yourself. <laughs> what happened? You were about to do it. But the, the, the unbelievable chiddush here is that the morale is telling us this is true, or this could have been true, for somebody like Aaron HaKohen and his children. Hearing it from Moshe is not the same thing as hearing it from Hashem, and I might not have that same joy because I'm being told what to do. I made the joke, I was in the car with my daughter, we had the GPS on, and it said, you know, make a right. So I said... Don't tell me what to do. I can't stand when this thing tells it. You can suggest if you want to get there in a timely fashion, you might think of making a right. My daughter said, are you serious? I'm like, no, I'm not serious. I don't mind. I appreciate it. 
But the first reason why human beings need to be creative is because the alternative is not acceptable. I don't like being told what to do. I can't be an employee in all areas of life all the time. Reason number two is because we need his chadshus. His chadshus means renewal. Life, if you keep on doing the same thing, no matter how bishmak it is, no matter how great it is, it gets old, it gets stale. Been there, done that. So we need, we need to change things up a little bit. Variety is the spice of life. And that's true with our hobbies, that's true with our relationships. And that's really where the Chachmas Torah comes in and gives us some of those tools. How do you keep things fresh? How do you keep a marriage from getting stale? Baruch Hashem, we have guidelines for that. But the reason why we need to create is because otherwise life gets boring. The Rabbah tells us in the beginning of Parshas Tzav, we have a restriction, You're not allowed to walk into the Kodesh Kedoshim, right, the Holy of Holies, even Aaron HaKohen, at any other time besides Yom Kippur. Why not? So we always assume, well, it's so holy, it's just not appropriate to walk in there on a random Tuesday just to check out the Kippurahs. Hey guys, look at that, right? It's a disgrace. The Ralbag, though, takes a very different angle. He takes more of a psychological approach. The Ralbag says, When I'm accustomed to seeing something, I no longer really pay attention to it. I see it all the time. So I'm not focused on it. I'm not going to delve into it. I'm not going to probe. Because it's always there, it's always accessible, I have this feeling, why take the effort and the energy now to really understand what this is or what this relationship is? I always have it. It's always here. Right, when you think about the memories we have, the first time we did something and the last time we did something are often etched in the, the memory. Everything in between, though, isn't. Because everything in between, I'm always assuming there's a tomorrow. So I'm never paying as much attention. I'm never allowing myself to become intoxicated by the, the meaning in the moment because there's always tomorrow. The Rabbah concludes... You see this all the time. Just look around. We have tefilos in the Siddur. We have our prayers that are awesome. They're composed by the men of the Great Assembly, the Anshek and Esagadola, where every letter is doing amazing things in celestial realms. But because we read them every single day, we don't really take the time. We've spoken about this before. We don't take the time to actually think about this paragraph in Pesukah Zimra. What does that phrase even mean? Right? We say it every day, so we don't pay attention. When it comes to something, you're going to say a special Yehiratzon before sitting in the sukkah, so then we pay close attention to what that is. It's something we do every day when we're rogil ba, the Gemara's expression is rogil ba v'katz ba. The more I have it, the more it becomes just part of my life. It actually becomes disgusting. 
So we need creativity because we need his chadshus, we need renewal. Reason number three is that there's a very unique pleasure in bringing something into the world that you feel is actually an expression of yourself. It's, it's almost a divine pleasure of being able to create. It's a bria chadosha. When we work hard on something and we achieve a goal, but it's not just a goal, it's, it's, it's actually sharing an aspect of who I am. So there are very few things that feel better than that. And the Gemara says famously that Hamafkid Peros, Eitzel Chavero, if I give my fruit for you to watch for me and I'm not coming back and they begin to rot, so you really have two options theoretically. You could sell them and give me back the money or give me other fruit, or you could keep the ones I gave you, allow them to keep on rotting, and when I come back, I'll get my fruit somewhat moldy. So the first opinion of the Mishnah in Baba Mitzia and Lamed Ches tells us you got to keep his fruit the way it is, even though when he comes back, there are going to be worms in it. Why? The Gemara explains, My time of Rav Kahana, Avim Rotza Bekav Shalom, Mitesha Kavin Shel Chavero. I want one measure of my own, more than nine that came from you. And Rashi tells us, what does that mean, I want one measure of my own? Why is that so precious to me? He says very simply, Chaviva alav, it's, it's beloved to me, al yidei sha'amol behen, because I toiled to produce this. I was out in the field. I was waiting for the right time. And then I did the, 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 the plowing, and the sowing, and then the harvesting. These fruits are from my, from my amelus, from my hard work. They're a part of me. I want even a little bit of that more than a lot of something that you give to me. When we create something, there's a beautiful, very special pleasure there. And the fourth and final reason why we need to create is because we all need to feel a sense of meaning in life. I think our greatest fear is that we live a life of insignificance. Being 80, 90, looking back and feeling, I, I didn't accomplish all the things that I thought I could. I was constantly too scared or too timid to take the steps that I needed to get to the next level in life. I didn't maximize my relationships. I didn't maximize my Vodas Hashem. My davening for all 87 years, I never really put my heart into it. So because we need to feel that we're doing something significant, that's where that chiv, that's where that obligation comes from. I need to create. I need to contribute in a way that it's, it's only me. Not, not in a selfish way, not because I need the recognition, that's also true, but it's much deeper than that. The only thing I could possibly share with the world that nobody else can is, is not my brilliance in any particular area, because in any area of life you could point to hundreds of thousands of people who know it much better than you do. But the only thing that I have to offer is me. I want to contribute. Want to create. The very beginning of the parsha, Rashi says that why is this parsha the lighting of the menorah, the arranging of the menorah, right after the Nesim, 
Right? The, the heads of the 12 tribes brought their special carbon for the inauguration of the Mishkan. So Rashi says, Lama nismecha parshas ha-menorah le-parshas ha-nasim? Lefi kishiroha Aaron chanukas ha-nasim? When Aaron saw all of the tribal leaders bringing their, their matanos, their, their offerings, so chal sha'oz daito, he felt a little depressed, he was a little down. Shalohai imahem b'chanukah, he didn't participate in that. He wasn't asked to join, neither he or his tribe. Therefore, Hashem said to him, Aaron, don't worry about it, right? You're sitting in the corner. You weren't picked for the, uh, the five on the, on, on the court. You're sitting on the bench. Don't worry. And there's a lot of discussion what exactly this is referring to. But Hashem was trying to make Aaron feel better. I'm going to give you something special. I'm giving you the mitzvah of menorah. But why did he feel doubt in the first place? Right? You're a mature young man. At this point, he was not a young man. You understand that if Hashem is telling these particular people to do this mitzvah, and he's not including you, and you have many, many other beautiful responsibilities that nobody else does, as kahuna, as the Kohen Gavo, why chal sha'oz daito? What are you stressing out, Aaron? You've got plenty to do. But he wanted to contribute. There's something happening here. I want to be a part of it. It's not coming from a selfish source. It's not coming from, from I'm feeling left out. There's a mitzvah here. I, I, I just have this innate desire. I want to do something because I want to contribute. I think this is probably most beautifully expressed in the introduction to the Darche Moshe. And we've spoken about this before in the past, discussing the evolution of halacha. But to get a little bit of a background, we have a little boy named Yosef. And Yosef was born in 1488 in Spain. Not a good year to be born in Spain. Yosef Caro. 1492, four years old, he leaves with his family, with hundreds of thousands of other Jews together. And eventually they make their way to Turkey. And he's living in Turkey and Greece for many years. And there he has the, the brilliant idea I'm going to write a commentary on the tour. The tour, Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Rabbeinu Asher, who created the idea of having four sections of, of Jewish law. I'm going to write a commentary, and in that commentary, I'm going to include everything. Everything that's been spoken about from the time of Shas, from the time of the Talmud, up until the 16th century. He spent 20 years writing the Beis Yosef. He writes in his introduction, I'm calling my work the Beis Yosef for two reasons. One is just like Yosef in Egypt was able to feed everyone through storing the grain, my hope and my prayer is that my Sefer, the Beis Yosef, should be nourishing to the Neshamos of Klal Yisrael. They should be able to turn here for Halacha Lemaisa, for what to do. And furthermore, he says, this should be my Beis Olami. This is my eternal, this is my Nitzchias through through this endeavor. 20 years he spent writing the Beis Yosef, and then another 12 years editing and rewriting it. So altogether we're talking about his magnum opus that took 32 years to complete. Eventually, the Beis Yosef moves to Svas, and then he's the Gadol Hador. He's recognized as the Moor Hagola, the leader of the generation. Across the world, right, near Hungary, 
we have one of the great rabbis of the, the world of Ashkenaz, Ramosha Isserlis. And Ramosha Isserlis has the exact same brilliant idea. I could create a commentary on the Torah to create a user-friendly halacha l'maysa work. So he starts the Darche Moshe. As he's working on this for years, it's not clear how long, he finds out the base Yosef beat him to it. So he, he actually shares with us, speaking about pre- uh, creativity, his introduction to the Darche Moshe is one long poem, as many of the great Rishonim and Achronim throughout all of history, they were massive poets and expressing deep ideas with the pen. And he also shares his hargasha, what he was feeling when he found out about the Beis Yosef. Let's read this together, source number 10. Bahagia Torester, always paraphrasing from different places in Tanakh. Basically, when I started this section on the Halachos of Chala, I had a trepidation. When I heard about the light of Israel, the head of the exile, referring to Rabbi Yosef Karo, when I heard what he was involved with, the Chiber Sefer Beis Yosef, that he created the Sefer Beis Yosef. Asher Korov Yehidun Tuvo. Varov Tov Hatsofun Bakirbo. Anyone who looks to the Beis Yosef who has some experience in learning of Torah, you see right away how magnificent, how brilliant, how beautiful, how radiant that Sefer is. Oz Nivhalti Shapoel Harik Pa'alti. Listen to these words very carefully. Understood superficially, it doesn't make any sense. Then he said, I felt that all my work was in vain. And all of my yagiyah, all of my toil, was for naught. So many nights were sleepless nights, trying to get clarity in all of the, all of the different sources out there, the Rishonim and the Achronim, and putting it together. And all that wasted sleep, for what? And he says in his humility, it's clear this is not coming from a place of arrogance. Because my words, in contrast to the base Yosef, they're like nothing. What's the point? Because with the, the mind of the base Yosef, his all-encompassing wisdom, he has everything. Hashem has blessed him with everything. Nothing falls between the cracks. And he says about his own experience, I had many days in this confusion. It sounds like confusion and depression. I didn't have the proper level of menuchas and nefesh. I, I couldn't feel any level of serenity. Nomos bekirbi kamomayim. I was melting inside like water. Here's the change. Until I daven to my Father in Heaven. And I assume he was davening the whole time. But here there was a deeper, there was a stronger tefillah. 
Right? This is what Esav cried out to his father. The Ramas is a credit to Hashem. Do you have one bracha just for me? Please, my father, v'seinli derech emes bilvavi. Grant me the path of truth in my heart. I want to contribute to Klal Yisrael. V'est filosi v'yagiyah kapai, roya lokim v'yochach emish. But you know what? My davening and my sincerity, it proves worthy. V'horali derech borok hashemesh, and Hashem showed me the path as clear as the sun. V'ruach nososa bileimor halau etzalti lecha bracha. And I felt the, the encouragement that there was bracha left for me. There was what I could contribute. V'oz chamosi shecheicha, and then my wrath, my bitterness diminished. V'amarti, and I said, Avina divrei sefer beis Yosef, achriso, ki li lokim al tira oso es beiso. Don't be afraid of the Beis Yosef. Al Tira, quoting the Pasuk in the Hillel, don't be afraid of the Beis Yosef. And he goes on to say, because I realized that in my style, with the sources that I'm bringing, I have a lot to contribute. First of all, I'm writing in a very different method. It's more concise, it's more user-friendly. I'm writing for the Bnei Ashkenaz, many of the rulings of the Beis Yosef, don't really apply here where I live. And therefore, Baruch Hashem, Haniach li Hashem left me space. But I think here we see so incredibly eloquently, the Ramah wasn't coming from a place of gaiva. I wanted my name to be out there. I wanted my Sefer to be in the Hamodia. But it was coming from the deepest source in the human neshama. I want to contribute. And I thought this was going to be my chilek. When I had that moment where I thought, it's not going to be that, and I'm not going to be able to help Klal Yisrael, it was so devastating, and then Baruch Hashem, I realized, I can still do a lot for Klal Yisrael. Famous line, also from a secular source, don't die with your music inside you. We all have a unique music, we all have a special shira, we have to be able to contribute that. And that's true even in the most literal terms. The Peleyoet says, song is a wonderful expression of creativity. If you have the koach, if you have that, that chush, that natural talent to sing and you enjoy it, make sure to do so and do it with your children. You should be singing at the Shabbos table, on the Yontif table, he writes, V'zeh avodas Hashem chashuva mo'od. This is very, very chasha, very important service of Hashem. This is tapping into what the Malachim do. What do the Malachim do? Kulam poschim mespiyam They sing to Hashem, whatever that means. It's some form of, 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 of shira. And if you could compose your own, that's even better, he says. I was at two nights ago, three nights ago, the, uh, the funeral for Rabbi Rabovsky's father-in-law. And uh, just hearing from Rabbi Rabovsky throughout the past many years, and then at the funeral, hearing the Hespedim, it was clear he was a very, very special person. Right? They don't make him like that anymore. They were saying that in his advanced stages of dementia, and, and he was so in his own world in so many ways. One thing 
that he never lost was the Zmiros. He could be sitting there at the Shabbos table, being oblivious to everything around him, but he was still able to sing the Zmiros with the words and the melody, just like he did for the last 60 years. I remember reading a story with Rebelsky. There was a father that went in to ask the question, and my son, Baruch Hashem, is learning well in yeshiva, but Epvis, uh, he has a chaver, he has a friend that plays the guitar, and he's expressing interest in playing the guitar. And on one hand, I, you know, I think it might be a nice thing for him to do, a nice outlet. On the other hand, there, there is a real concern that it might take away from his learning, and right now he's, he's doing wonderfully. Right? So it's not a simple question. You don't want to create a situation where your son is going to be distracted. So Rebelsky did this. He leaned back in his chair, and he opened the drawer of his desk. He took out his harmonica, and he began to do a little tune on the harmonica. <laughs> he put it back in, and he said, I think it could be a very healthy thing to have that expression of creativity. The Gemara says that when you see 600,000 Yidin, so many Jews together, you make a special bracha. What is that bracha? Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Chacham HaRazim Which means that Hashem, you're the source of bracha, king of the universe, who has the wisdom to understand the razim, the hidden aspect of every individual. And the Gemara says, She'ein daitam domezelezeh, because out of those 600,000 or more Jews, everyone has a different way of perceiving the world. Ve'ein pitzufeyim domezelezeh. They look differently, and they are differently, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu, what we're so impressed with, right, the one thing we're going to choose in the Matbeya, the structure of the bracha is, and you get all of them. That's incredible. And Rav Cook writes, explaining this Gemara, he says, The more you really look into somebody, and you know people, and you appreciate them, you realize, People might seem a little bit similar, superficially, but the more I'm able to penetrate through you and, and see your neshama, I should be blown away by how incredibly different every human being is. He says, If it's based on education, background, family, or if it's just based on their nature, their brain chemistry. Nonetheless, he says, It's through these shinuyim, it's through the differences that could lead to real unity. But the idea is everyone is so incredibly different. Being creative means I'm in touch with who I am, and I try my best, not limited through the Torah, but in Ritz Hashem, the Torah should be able to enhance and to bring out and to be a springboard to sharing that creativity. To be creative in, in chesed, to be creative in learning, there are so many areas where you could really tap into this being out of the box. I remember one of my highlights being in, in Michigan for two and a half months where my son was going through a bone marrow transplant. So we're looking out the window as we did very often and my son, who's 
It was almost three of the time. He looks out the window and he's like, hey, Superman. I'm like, okay, Superman. Superman! <laughs> okay, all right. Watching too much TV over here, you know? Superman. Eventually, after saying it a couple of times, I look out the window and guess what? It was Superman! <laughs> it was Superman. He was like seven stories up on a building with the full costume. Who was he? He was a window washer. And we soon learn that what they do here at Ann Arbor, Michigan, in Mott's Children's Hospital, is all the window washers dress up like superheroes. And it's the coolest thing in the world. You look out your window and you see there are real live superheroes washing my window. You would think they'd get more money elsewhere, but that's what they're doing. And it's a great example of using creativity for chesed to brighten up a child's day just by doing something silly. What happens if we create an environment where children, or even ourselves, we feel stifled? And we feel that within the box, we're not able to be creative. Again, everything is a balance, right? There are many times when the call of the hour is not about me, not about expression. It's about absorption. But if we create an atmosphere where I'm not appreciated for who I am, and no one's looking to discover who I am or to help me discover who I am, what are the ramifications of that kind of climate? I talk about global warming, climate change. There's a very scary, almost prophetic piece in the Meshechachma. Meshechachma writes in Parshish B'chukosai, he says, there's been a trend throughout all of Jewish history. He says, what happens is that we're persecuted, there's anti-Semitism, we're hated, we're made subhuman, and eventually what happens? Right? Gerush. We're expelled from this land, we're kicked out of this particular place. If it was Yerushalayim going back almost 2,000 years ago, or England, or Spain, or France, or anywhere else in the world, we're kicked out. Then we get to a new country, a foreign land. We don't yet feel at home. And we need to establish ourselves. So what do we do? We have this really deep motivation, this gavura, this strength that, that overcomes us. We need to build! And we start building. Torah, yeshivos, shuls, kolalim, mikvos, everything you can imagine. And then he writes, 100, 200 years go by, and you're living in Brooklyn. <laughs> now you have everything. Everything and anything. And then what happens? Kachi darka shela This is the way of the nation. Shekasher nachria. We get to a foreign land. You ain't in Torah and there's no B'nai Torah. And we're coming off suffering and then bruised and scarred from the previous persecutions and we build. We have this, 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 this ruach, this spirit from above that compels us to rebuild Torah, to learn, to teach, to be marbitze Torah, to spread Torah. Yasun to do amazing things. Ad until 
We get to the point where things are actually pretty good. We get to the point where he famously says, we now think, he ha Berlin, he Yerushalayim. Right? What's the point of Yerushalayim? We have Berlin. What's the point of anything? We have America. We're good. He says, once you get to that point, what's the main problem? The main problem is, what's the next generation going to do? They don't feel that same hechrach. They don't feel that same need to build. It's all built up for them. The human being needs to be machadesh. What am I going to do now? And that's when and that's why we start getting interested. We're intrigued by, well, what are they doing over there? Right? The foreign culture, assimilation, acceptance. But the, the shorish, and this is an amazing thing to say, one of, you can't say the root, but one of the aspects as to why we have this phenomenon of, of anti-Semitism is to keep us together. That much we've heard before. But how do we have assimilation in the first place? Because we need to be machadesh. We need something new. And you see it in a microcosm. Right? We have a small community here. Any small community in the beginning, you have pioneers, and people have this sense of, we gotta be there. And if I'm not gonna come to Minion, then they might not have a Minion. So everyone's really invested. Everyone has a sense of achrayas and responsibility. And now, Baruch Hashem, everything we're hoping for and we've been striving for, oh, so oh, we have that now. Okay, don't need me anymore. So if we don't create a culture where we want you to find yourself and we want to be helpful in that process, then what we're really doing is we're telling our children, we're telling the next generation, go look elsewhere. Because here within the confines of Torah, you have nothing to be machadesh, you have nothing to add. We're good. So we need to create an environment where we cherish creativity and we bring it out. Rabbi Levi Mayer was the, uh, he was the chaplain at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles, a very special person. He told the story that he was having a conversation with a fellow Jonathan who uh, was terminally ill. Jonathan had no desire to keep on living. However, he said, there was one thing that changed my mind. When there was a, a young man that walked in and he said, you know what? This person was also sick for many years, and Baruch Hashem, through chemotherapy and other treatments, he was now doing a lot better, and uh, his future was bright. So he came in for the rest of us, and he sang the song by Frank Sinatra, The Impossible Dream. Right? Ever heard of that, Dylan? The Impossible Dream? We're dating ourselves here. <laughs> so Jonathan told Rabbi Levi Mayer, he said, that, that changed my whole perspective. It wasn't the song, it wasn't the melody, but coming from this person who's been through what I've been through, and they're singing the impossible dream, it was sharing that koach of shira, right? sharing their creativity with me, that changed my perception on life. So, to conclude, this is a larger subject, but we have four basic ideas here. 
We don't want to be told what to do our whole lives, and therefore we have to be creative. <coughs> we need his chadshus in life, we need renewal, and that's part of the reason why we have to be able to keep on being mechadish in a healthy, productive way. Third, we said, is that it's a very unique, special privilege and pleasure to be able to share something that I feel is almost a part of myself. And this is a very important caveat. It's not about expressing it to anybody else. It's not about necessarily proving myself to you or, or making you think something different of me. It's the, the, it's the organic experience of being able to share myself. That's so beautiful, that's so pleasurable. And fourth, and probably the most powerful, is we need to contribute. And the highest form of contribution is, I'm giving of myself. And that requires creativity, that requires thinking out of the box, in the world of chesed, in the world of Torah. Anything I can do to enhance my yadus and your yadus together, that creativity doesn't just fit within the Torah lifestyle, but it allows the Torah lifestyle to flourish. Good job.